0: Dynamic Voices for a Diverse Church. This is Pass the Mic. Greetings and God bless. Welcome to another episode of Pass the Mic, Dynamic Voices for a Diverse Church, powered by The Witness, a Black Christian collective. I'm your host, Tyler Burns. You can follow me on Twitter at Burns23. Follow at your own risk. And I'm so excited about today's episode because it's a little bit different. You're not going to be hearing from the man, the myth, the legend, Jamar Tisby today. But you're also not going to be hearing from me either. Now, I know this is interesting, but we have a special treat for you. Since 2015 or 2016, when the first of the viral videos and hashtags started to emerge um, on the internet and on social media, we have been talking about Black Christians being forced or choosing to leave white evangelical spaces. This culminated in a 2018 article written by the New York Times journalist Campbell Robertson entitled A Quiet Exodus Why Black Christians Are Leaving White Evangelical Churches. And we have been interacting since that time with dozens, maybe even hundreds, perhaps even thousands of Black Christians who have similar, if not the same exact story. The second that they spoke out about their brothers and sisters who are dying in the streets, the second that they mentioned the injustices that they saw around them. They were ostracized and marginalized in their places of worship. And today we have a special guest, who is going to talk through her specific story of how she was forced out of her white evangelical church. Her name is Z Johnson. She is a worship pastor in South Texas, and she is going to be interviewed by our very own Allie Henney. Allie is phenomenal. She is the host of the Combing the Roots podcast, another podcast that you should go and subscribe to right now, frequent contributor here at The Witness, and a voice that we value and trust. And Ali and Z had a penetrating, transparent conversation about Z's very painful experience in her white evangelical church. And and I hope that perhaps through Z's example and through Z's story, you can feel seen, you can feel valued, and you can feel heard. We wanna bring you more of these stories. And so I actually wanna encourage you if you have a similar story to Z, if you have a similar story of being ostracized and pushed out, of a White Evangelical Church for standing up for truth and justice, email us at info at the Right after Ali and Z's conversation, we're going to get into a special bonus part of the episode that we have for you. It's broken up into five different parts over the next five episodes. You'll hear bits and pieces of it. It is a conversation that I was privileged to have with Justin Gibbony and Michael Weir of the AND campaign. And they just recently wrote a book entitled Compassion and Conviction: The And Campaign's Guide to Faithful Civic Engagement. And we wanted to break this up into parts so that you could get it and also digest it alongside of the book, which is due to come out this week. So we encourage you guys to go and pick up Compassion and Conviction by Justin Gibney and Michael Weir. But first, we hope that you enjoyed this conversation with our very own Ali Henney and a brave voice, Z. Johnson.
1: This episode is brought to you in part by Baker Publishing Group. Most of us don't want to spend our lives being time wasters, space takers, binge watchers, or game players. We want to be difference makers. But maybe we make changing the world a little more complex than it really is. Making a difference isn't measured by a viral post or a name on a building. It isn't determined by a following or a fan base. Want to make a difference? Focus on just one person at a time. That's the secret of the way of Jesus. In his newest book, One at a Time, Kyle Eidelman invites us to better understand the surprising habits of Jesus and the power of small things done with great love. He challenges true disciples to fully commit to the unexpected Jesus way of changing the world by loving people one at a time. Baker Bookhouse is pleased to partner with Christianity Today to offer a special discount on your copy of One at a Time. Visit bakerbookhouse.com by February 28th, 2022, and use promo code 1-2022, that's O-N-E-2022, to receive 40% off with free shipping.
2: y'all. This is Allie Henny, and I am here with Z Johnson. Zee is a worship leader. She is a, a worship pastor, or at least she was a worship pastor until she was abruptly fired from her job at a church in Texas. She was serving as the interim worship pastor at a church in Southern Texas, and Suddenly, through a series of events, because she chose to speak out about some of the injustices that Black folks have been experiencing in this nation recently, she spoke out on social media. And then she found herself on a Saturday before a Sunday before she was supposed to uh, before she was supposed to lead worship at a church. She was let go, and so I'm here with Z, and she's gonna tell her story and I just you know it's something that just listening to your video the way that i that I became aware of your story was that my friend tyler burns had had sent. A video had sent the Facebook video that you had posted. And as of today, it has over 5,000 views. And I don't know, I can't remember how many shares that it has, but it was, but it was, was a significant number of shares. And he shared this with me. And there was so much about your story that hit home for me personally. And I won't even get into that right now, but I was just wondering, you know, bef- before we we even delve deeper into the story, you know, who, who is Z? Why, why, how did you, how did you end up in, in this place? What can you, what can you tell us about yourself?
3: Well, I have
2: been playing in church since I was 14 years old. There has never been
3: a Sunday since I was 14 where I wasn't in church or I wasn't responsible for some part of ministry. So I've been in church a long time. Church people are not new to me. Um a few months ago, um in March in the at the end of March I visited a church to help my friend. He needed a drummer at the last minute. So he told me Saturday, I showed up Sunday. And that Sunday when I played there, we had a break in between um, in between the service time and our rehearsal time, and Pastor Scotts had approached me and just verbatim told me, I don't want a white church. I want a diverse church. And I think that I met you because I want you here full time. And I disregarded that because I had other things going on. I was playing for a professional choir, which I still am in Um, I actually teach music every day. So with much prayer and much consideration for the church that I had loved and was already at, I went ahead and helped them out. And I came on to that ministry's team as an internal worship pastor. So I was wearing the hat of a music director. I was doing a lot of the stage plans. I was revamping planning center and the way we all organize our communication with each other, so it was a lot. It was a it was a big piece of pie to take on in a uh, one week into my job. Coronavirus happened, <laughs> so I had a whole different set of responsibilities with live streaming and making sure our services were designed in a way that kept people engaged online and on Facebook. And um, then George Floyd died. And it seemed like my world and what I was looking at kind of it put it in perspective because here I am up in the Woodlands, Texas, this county, this township, it's 86% white, um, 4% African-American, point something percent Hispanic. So it's not very diverse. And I'm from Houston, which is a melting pot of everything. So I'm used to living in neighborhoods where there are more than five languages spoken on one street, and um, going to church with many different colors of people, many different types of people, and you no know, one judging each other. And I've come—I'm coming out of that environment and walking into a church in a leadership position as an intern pastor, having all the authority and and all the responsibility and everyone on my team is white everyone on every other creative team surrounding the music ministry is caucasian i was the only black person at that church um there might there there is a handful of hispanic people but literally only about two families out of about 200 people so that it's not very diverse at all and um George Floyd died. Put some things into perspective for me, and and kind of made me question. You know, I've been out here for a long time. Most of all the music ministers and musicians that I know in this area are Caucasian because the demographic is eighty six percent Caucasian. So all the worship pastors I know, everyone that's that is a worship pastor in the 70 plus churches that are in this area I, that I know of are Caucasian. The people who make decisions at every church are Caucasian. So me, by me having that position, it was um, it was groundbreaking because I'm a black woman. I'm single. Um, I don't have any children. I'm 31. I'm young. Um, I, I have a music degree but I don't have a seminary degree at all. And here I am being a worship pastor and being responsible for everything. Well, everything kind of came to a halt. And I was, was concerned because most of my friends, who, I, who people who I thought were my friends, fell completely silent on the situation Seven days into protests, they were silent. Nine days into protests, they didn't say anything. And it made me upset because these are people that I sit at dinner with. These are people that I worship with. These are people that that I'm sitting in Bible study with. And so I said something and I said something on Facebook and it went along the lines of, if your pastor cannot march with you, cannot advocate for your safety, then they shouldn't be con- collecting your tithes and offering.
2: Mm, and, wow.
3: And um, and it just, it was like a ton of bricks for a lot of people. It, it hit them like a ton of bricks. Um, wow. But, but I stand by that statement, and, and I wish I could put it on a T-shirt and wear it everywhere I go, because it's true. Um, and and we all know as critical thinkers that there's more than one way to march you can donate money you can facilitate change in your own working environment um, there there's a lot of options you know especially now in a few of I'll, I'll call them constituents a few of the local, um, worship pastors in the area actually reached out to me in love and explained that they were silent because they didn't know what to say. And and I father explained to them that by being silent, they are agreeing with the opposition. And even if you don't know what to say, you should at least say that you don't think that it's right for an innocent black man to die. You should Pray for people who are experiencing oppression and loss. That should be where you start, especially if you're ministering to people, whether that be in message or in song. And maybe I just have my standards are so high for for people of God because of what I believe. But at the very basic level, I I just feel like as leaders, we should advocate for what is just even if that makes us uncomfortable,
2: yes, absolutely, absolutely. And you know what? I, I said this to you before we started the interview that that what happened to you is not uncommon. Like a lot of us, a lot of us end up um, in these types of situations in churches, and so I, I want to go. I want to go back to something that you said, to, to some things that you that you that you laid out here. Um, just so our, our listeners can can really track was can really begin to, to kind of track with this story. It sounds like you were like like you had really just started this position. You've been there, you know, maybe, maybe for three months. And this and this happens. And so it's so odd to me because the, the person that you that you referenced, you know, it was like you they they said, you know, oh, well, you know, I don't feel it was almost kind of like like this this almost holy moment, if you if you can call it that, where it's like, oh, you know, I feel like that that you know, I, I don't want to have just a an all white church. I want to have a diverse church. And I felt and I feel like that you are are, are supposed to be part of this church, but then how quickly you just, how quickly and how easily you, you were discarded. And so I want to go, I want to go back to, because I think that, that there's something that's very, that's very important that you, that you highlighted here is that you, you left a context that where where you were thriving you 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 still are connected you know of course to to the choir and stuff that you play for but you you left some some things that were that were thriving and that that you were doing well with so so what what moved you to what what moved you about this church or about this this context why why did you why did you leave where you were where you were at to 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 be at this church
3: well the fact that Pastor had was blatantly honest about the fact that he didn't want an all-white church was something that really intrigued me because a lot of ca- predominantly Caucasian churches will hire diversity. They'll hire hired guns. Their, their bass player will be black. Their drummer will be be black. A couple singers will be black but it's predominantly Caucasian and they hire the faces of their ministries to look diverse. And what made me go to was because pastor Scott was, was upfront about it. That was number one. Number two was that he was aware that I was a single black female and I didn't really have, um, I, I try to take jobs as a musician, as an artist, as Z Johnson. I try to take jobs that, that force people to see a black woman. If that makes sense. I take jobs where I'm going to be the only black person or I'm going to be the only female in the band because I think representation is super important. Mm. I grew up in, In Houston, Texas, and my neighborhood was diverse. My church was diverse, but my mother thought it was best that a lot of activities that I did, I was the only black child and no coach, no instructor, no, no lead person. No camp counselor that I ever seen was black, let alone a black woman. So. Mm -hmm. That's one thing that was really missing for me was representation. And because I work with so much youth, I try to be that representation because a lot of people, um, if you talk to a lot of white kids that live in the suburbs, they don't know anyone who's black. They might have one black friend, but they don't have any teachers, any professors Mm -hmm. that are black. Their doctor isn't black. Um, the nurses that they go to aren't black. None of the administrators in their schools are people of color that are making decisions. Um the lunch lady might be black. The mechanic might be black in no shade to lunch ladies and mechanics, but we're always the help. So I tend to take gigs, as most of us call them, where, it shows a black woman in a positive light because we all we all of us aren't mini leaks, you know, and and there should be there should be someone to look at that is regular, that speaks eloquently, that does their job. That is respectable, who's just happens to be a black woman. So a lot of the jobs that I take are, I'm very aware that I'm the only one. And the reason why I do that, because my influence is magnified when I do that, because I can be comfortable um, teaching at an all-black school. I can be comfortable worshiping in an all-black church. That's fine. It's nothing wrong with that. Like, we need to be around each other to heal each other and encourage each other. But for The one kid who's adopted by a white family that doesn't get to see other black people or the one family who's black in the church that doesn't really get to see someone in a position of authority. It's important to represent that and it's important to represent it well. So that's why I chose that. I left a church where I was thriving and had plenty of opportunity where they would seat close to a thousand people on a Sunday. I left that to be amongst 200 people for less pay to represent because I was in an area in Conroe, Texas, where the percentage of black people that live there are 8%. So... (laughs) So that's why I moved, because I, I want to be part of the change that I want to see. And I can't make any changes if I'm sitting on the sidelines. Well, you don't have any black people in your church. Well, you don't play any black music in your church. Because black people, we can be so culturally isolating. And, and there's a good reason why we are. Uh, look at the news. There's a very good reason why we're culturally isolated because it's safer. But who is going to be the person that that kind of reaches beyond that safety net and and makes makes a difference? And that's what I thought I was doing. And I thought that the pastor of the church had my back. And when I called to the carpet, the funny thing is my statement wasn't even in regards to the church that I was serving at, because they were treating me very well. I was very respected and I was very well liked and still am by most of the 25 people that were on my team. But when push came to shove, they chose a narrative that I don't feel comfortable with. So I'm glad that it happened because if you are willing to be silent, I always say your silence screams. If, if you're sitting there and cars are zooming across the hi- highway, and someone who can't see starts to walk across the highway. Are you going to sit there and watch it happen? Or are you going to say something? And even though we're we're miles and miles away from George Floyd and where he was, and we aren't facing the same thing, legislative, in on a legislative arena. Christian in you should have something to say about injustice. The God in you should should not agree with things that aren't right, and that's what I was calling to the carpet, and I still do, and I still stand by that. So that's that's the reason why I took that job was because um, I am fueled by the fact that we don't see enough of us. We see enough of the ratchet. We see enough of the loud. We see enough of the angry, but do we see enough of the eloquent? Do we see enough of the excellent? Do we see enough of just black people being remarkably great at whatever they do? We don't see enough of that. It's not mainstream. It's indie right now and we're trending, but it's still, it's still not mainstream.
2: Yeah, yeah, you know, you you bring up a very um interesting point I think about about representation and about placing yourself in a space where you can be be a representation not just for the Black people who who might uh, be in a space, but also giving white people the opportunity to be able to experience Black leadership, Black authority, because you're right, there are a lot of white people who never in their life, do they ever have a Black teacher? Do they ever have a, and it might be, you know, uh, maybe until they they get to college or graduate school for, mm-hmm. for some, but but a lot. A lot of black people end up, or a lot of white people rather, end up in a situation where they they never have a, a, a black authority figure in their life. They they never see a black person in any type of position other than being the help. And so, I think that that is. A, a unique space that, that certain people, um, are definitely, are definitely called to, um, could, could definitely say, you know, I, I, I've, I've spoken with a lot of black people who feel called to, to be in those certain types of, of spaces and to, in a way, um, in a way to, to build bridges as it were between, between our community and, and theirs. And I think that a lot of black folks, joined or joining maybe not we're not joining maybe as much but i know a lot of us showed up in white churches believing kind of this this idea believing in this dream of okay you know a pastor tells us that that they don't want a church that is all white and so we show up thinking, okay, cool. You don't want to church that's all white, so that must mean that you're that you that you're not racist. That you're that you're gonna that I'm gonna be there. That I'm, that I'm gonna be treated well, and that you're gonna be there. You're gonna you're gonna see the, um, issues that, that, that are, that are in my community, the issues that, that press against my community, namely racism. And because you, you want me to be there, you are going to care about these things too. And then, and then, you know, we, we get into the context and it often seems like, I think that, that you, that the story that you shared, I mean, it, it, it plays into a certain script. It's like, they, they want, us there they want our black body there i think that there often is a genuine there there is a a genuine desire for i there's i think that that there are some churches that just kind of are playing into playing into a trend, kind of playing into what seems right, um, what what seems right, but it's not really a conviction. But I really do believe that there are some pastors that really do, that they really do want a church that's diverse. They really do want to serve communities of color. But what ends up happening is that they don't know how to do that, they don't. They they aren't equipped to do that. They aren't equipped to be able in, in this day and age. Whenever there are just all of these um, different racial incidents that that keep happening, and they see and in some ways, it almost feels like that, that these racial incidents have a compounding effect. And for for the last six to eight years, we we really have been in in a free fall of racism in this country. And it's not that it hasn't always been there because it always has been there. It's always been an undercurrent, if not the the overt thing that's there, but we are at it, we are in a moment of a lot of people are referring to it as a racial reckoning. I think that there's a new layer of that that technology and that our connectedness as a as a country, as a society, but also as a world. There's there's a level of connectedness that we have now that has been able to uncover a level of racism that we only knew about that black folks. We 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 knew exactly. because we had experienced it. Right, we every had day. seen it every day. We, we you know we experienced it. We 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 experienced the Karen in the parking lot. Yelling at us, right. we we have, and if it wasn't us directly, we know people that experience that, and so exactly. now it's being brought to the public consciousness in such a way that you can't ignore it. And so I think that a lot of Black Christians have we we we've entered into certain worship spaces with the hope we we there's a there's a pastor telling us that they that essentially that they want us there that they that they that they, that they care about us. That's true. But when the time comes for them mm-hmm. to actually show that and to actually the the, the rubber to actually meet the road, it's right. not there, and that sounds very yeah. similar to to what you experienced. So you you mentioned that that you were that you were treated well at the church. So so what what do you mean by that? Was there anything that would have given you any indication that people? would that, that that they would have turned
3: on you in this there, way there wasn't
2: i was completely blindsided
3: that's the part that makes this so incredible and from a shepherd and sheep point of view this was a church where i felt grounded and i had asked this pastor to be my pastor because we all know musicians all know we we have a home church and we have a church that we go to because they pay well. Every musician does that. Every single musician does that, And the people who say they don't are lying. So I was ready to uh, pay my tithes at this church. Um, do the whole changeover, you know, change of address form, blah, blah, blah. Get involved in home groups Um, and I had started involving myself with the women's ministry and get obtaining deeper relationships with those women. And I was literally called at 5 PM on, on May 30th and told to not come back on campus again. And Mm -hmm. I, there was literally a nine minute phone call in. I asked why Wow. For, for at least three minutes and Pastor Scott sat on the phone silent.
2: Wow.
3: And his, his answer to me was don't show up. Wow. So, not only is this a race issue, not only is it a, a heart issue, a Christian issue, this literally when this first happened, my heart didn't have a home because Mm -hmm. like I said, I've been in church all my life and I've been a musician in church since I was 14. So 14, since I was 14 years old serving in whatever capacity I could every Sunday, that's a long time, long, long time and this church I had just started the position, but I actually have been in and out of this church as a hired gun on Sundays when they didn't have people for about two and a half years. So I wow. knew the, I knew these people.
2: Oh wow.
3: I knew these people. Um so it should it was a different layer of hurt about three weeks after it happened. I, um, I was going to go visit another church, you know, um, our stay at home order was over with. So church, some churches were opening back up to 25 percent capacity. And I was going to go visit a, a church that I had worked at the year before over a summer. And, and I loved I loved those people. They were they were just good people. And I started getting ready for church and I and I literally had an anxiety attack. Wow. So people that wow. think that church hurt is just like a hashtag, and it's something to make fun of, and I did it too. I made fun of it as well. It's a real thing. And there are people who, um, when people tell you they don't, they they don't church, they do not church at all. It's not because they hate God. And and I think a lot of the young people that have left church, we're not anti God. We are anti system. We mm-hmm. There are a lot of people that are preaching, that are singing, that are music directors, that are ministers. They don't want to change the world. They don't. They don't want to birth gifts in people. They don't want to see people do well. They have found a way to cash in on an emotional experience for people. And they're using that to provide a better life for themselves or supply their egotistical need to belong mm-hmm. or be important. They're not interested in feeding the sheep, they're not interested in being a shepherd. And like you said, this is a new time where where we're going through a racial reckoning. If you if you think about it, five years ago. All over the news, all over the country, we were trying to keep kids from not killing themselves because someone said they were fat on Facebook. Some on some on some ominous person made fun of them. So they were hanging themselves in their closets five years ago. This these are the same kids that are out in front of the police being tear gassed.
4: These -hmm. are the same kids.
3: This is the same generation. So all this narrative about, oh, time has changed and people aren't what they used to be. No, we we have a more. We have more truth now. We have more. Um, it's readily available. We don't have to go sit in a classroom or go sit in a seminar or go to a seminary to figure out who God is, what the truth is or what history really was because Mm -hmm. people are exposing it every day and not just American history, but all over the world, all of this is being exposed and it's, and it was already information out there, but nobody was hungry for the truth. And now that people have the truth, they're ready to confront things that aren't right. Yeah. And it's just, it's amazing to me. I've been to, to um, a protest that was here in the woodlands for Black Lives Matter. And every there was every kind of kid there. The jock, the nerd, the skinny kid, the fat kid, the unpopular kid, the homecoming queen. Everybody was there. So this generation is not going to tolerate whatever like was grandfathered in and you and I both know this we we like you said we have similar stories you know I'm sure that um if we sat and ran down everyone's experience it would be so similar in in one way or another because it has been normal for us just just like watching George Floyd get murdered Watching that on television is normal. And this president had his 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 decorum has made white supremacy normal. The way he behaves created the environment for that to be normal.
2: Yes and I think that you you bring up a lot of really good points just about how we engage with one another about how we engage this moment I think it you know, I I think it's great that you that you brought the the even the young people into this moment and it 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 definitely is a time of reckoning it definitely is a time where where we are seeing a, a renewed sense of activism um, that's that's not unlike what we what what I think that our ancestors saw during the civil rights movement, and so we're we're in this time when when I know that you're talking about like information, like the information is there, the information is is readily available, and it seems like that there that there is so there it's we are watching lynchings happen on our phones. Like that's like, that's that, that is out there. That is you, you really can't be ignorant at, at this point yet. There are a lot of white folks who are, who are choosing ignorance, who are, who are choosing. And at this point, I just, I personally have to, to chalk it up to, to a choice because how else, why, why else would, would it, would it be why Why else would, would you be so, um, So resistant. Why else would, would it be so difficult for, for them to, to get what is happening? Why else would it, why, why would they so readily discard us? Why would they so, so readily push us away? And there has to be a level of, of willful ignorance. And so something that you, that you brought out in, in your story of, of what happened at your church is that Essentially, you know, you, you had, you had, you had gone on Facebook. You had, you had said what you had to say. You weren't even really talking about your church. You were right. just making a very, a very general statement yet there's that 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 old saying that that hit dog will holler oh yeah and so it it, that's it almost seems like it was like it was it was like a hit dog hollering that Mm -hmm. you that then all of a sudden you you get this you get this call so so if i'm if i'm understanding this correctly they didn't really ever explicitly say they didn't ever explicitly come out and say Oh well, you know we're firing you for this Facebook post. So, so what is it that 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 caused you to to realize that 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 was the thing that it wasn't just because I mean it seems it's so it seems so bewildering because because in your video you talked about how you rehearsed on a Wednesday right. and then on Saturday you get this call this nine minute long call where three of the minutes at least were were just kind of spent in, in silence of, of trying to figure out why. And they, I mean, they fired you on, on, on Saturday, that's you know before Sunday that that you know that you need somebody. I, I don't know like how your worship was during the coronavirus or whatever during the time that 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 y'all was shut down. But like I mean, typically if you're gonna fire the worship leader, you're gonna fire him on a Monday, right? Like you're not gonna fire you're not gonna fire them on you're not, you're not gonna fire them on like. Right, you know, Saturday right. before, before you Absolutely. leave their services. Absolutely. So, so what, so, so, so how, what, how did you, what, what led you to this? What, I mean, cause I mean, yes, it, and I say that I'm not questioning like, well, what made you like, you know, they didn't say it, but just like how, like I, I'm, I'm trying to wrap my, I'm, I'm trying to wrap my mind around how on earth you could just, just, how that, how they took something negative about them from what you said. and something that was, that it just immediately was, you're fired. Right. And why there wasn't a, a, a conversation that just seemed so bewildering whenever everything else seemed to be in order and everything else seemed to be fine. Absolutely. The post that I initially made
3: that said, if your pastor cannot march with you or advocate for you, they shouldn't be collecting your tithes and offering or preaching to you that particular post was shared by a former worship pastor at church he is the one that I went to help out that day when pastor Scott asked me to come on full-time he reposted my post and in his sharing of of that particular post went along the lines of I cannot believe that with as many churches as Z. Johnson, myself, is involved with that she is spreading this much hate and divisiveness in the church. And that gentleman is friends with everyone who sits on the board at that church. It's a it's a good old boys club. And this particular gentleman who served as worship pastor for about three years Every day he posted his guns, he posted his pro-Trump rhetoric, and I know this because I was friends with him on Facebook, because he was the worship pastor, and he would call up on me sometimes to help him from time to time, or like every three months, two months or so, and specifically holidays where they had um, set lists that were were technically difficult, he would call up on me to help. Um, he posts, he posts his pro-Trump rhetoric, his extremely right politics. He's known on Facebook for trolling people and he shared my post and accused me of spreading hate and division in the church, the church that he actually quit on and I had to replace him. So that's that's where that came from. And after literally he posted his post on Saturday afternoon, around, I want to say before lunch, around five o'clock I was fired. So it was a matter, I believe in my head that it was a matter of the good old boy kind of concept where, you know, hey, um, if my homie don't like you, then we all don't like you. And I believe that's that's what aided in uh, Pastor Scott having to make the decision to let me go. And in my conversation with him, I asked him. I said, "You know, we're a week after George Floyd died. We are days into." these very violent protests and you're firing the only black person, the only person of color at all on your staff. Cause there's no Hispanics, no Asians on staff. It's all Caucasian people. And I told him, I said, are you aware of how this looks? And he just sat on the phone quietly for two minutes and said absolutely nothing. So like you said, people are choosing to be, they're, they're willfully ignorant of, they don't want to be aware of their own bias. They don't want to be aware of their own prejudicedness because to be aware of it, you actually have to do a lot of self work And a lot of people don't want to do that. And this church that fired me has yet to make a statement of solidarity with people who are oppressed. They have yet to to say anything. And a lot of my friends who are musicians that I brought into that church to help with vocal coaching, to help um, stand in on certain days when I didn't have other people to fill in spots for the band. They have completely denounced and and completely severed their professional ties with that church permanently because of their decision and lack of of solidarity that they show with, with people of color.
2: What you said, that is just, there are so many touch points with so, I mean, it's just, honestly, it's, it's a script. I mean, you could take what you said, you could take a lot of the different, a lot of the different aspects of your experience and you could redact the names, you could take out different, different, um, maybe specific Circumstances and copy and paste it, and there are people out there who would be able to fill fill in the blank. I fill in the blanks. I know that there's that there are people who um, will be listening to this will be like, oh my gosh, that's like that's my story. I mean, you know, I wasn't I wasn't the worship leader. I was a children's pastor. I wasn't the children's pastor. I was a care pastor. I was a, I was a, I was a key volunteer in the church, and you know that there's so many de- there's so many details. There's so there are so many. T- touch points and just at the end of the day you know it's what at the end of the day i think that you you know you hit on it with the with the kind of the good old boy network where you, there's just so right. many different so many different points where you're talking about the the divis- all of a sudden you, you speak out about race in in a white church and it becomes it's labeled as divisiveness it's labeled as hate you there, there's kind of um almost an and angry mob. Um, usually, I say it's an angry mob, but it's always... It, it's very rarely a visible mob it's always it's always pe- supposedly you know there's people have you know they're there it, it's it's me your you your mom and your cousin too but none of those people ever come forward but it's but it's always well there's there's these people that feel some type of way about something and it's a silent group of people that feel that feel some type of way that whether they and, and sometimes I think that they really do exist and people don't and, and people just don't have the gumption to come forward and sometimes i think that people um will will mobilize this idea of well people said and it's or or people people think or there's whatever and it's not really it, it, it there's not real it's what they think and they're using they're using people they're using this idea of this of this unnamed mob this faceless Absolutely. mob to to get their point forward but however that comes about, whoever is involved, a lot of times, I, I, I just, I've, I've, ex- I've experienced this. I've seen, I've seen so many people experience this where, where leaders, even people who are, who say that they're, that they're committed to issues of, of justice, they, there's, there's pressure. There's, there's pressure from the, there's pressure from the outside. There's pressure from people who, maybe aren't as committed as they are who or who are offended or whatever there there's this pressure to to it's going too far too fast and it we end up being the people who who pay for that. You know, in in my own in my own scenario, in my own thing and I and I talked about this on the first episode of the second season of Coming the Roots. I I was part of an incident at a church that I had been connected to for a significant number of years and I I had witnessed the um the lead pastor just in a in a in a situation with a fellow Black woman leader in the church where he just said a lot of things that were racist and misogynistic to her. He had called her angry and he called her unapproachable and just had, had, had kind of aired some personal grievances to her in, in, a, in a public setting in a way that just wasn't okay. And it was all kind of in the context of dealing with another racial incident at the church. And so whenever, whenever all of this, whenever all this went down, um, you know, long story short, it was, I, I had, I had said something about what had happened to the pastor, um, had emailed him after the fact. It's in a strongly worded email after the fact about what had happened. And, um, was just kind of told, you know, okay, like yeah, I'll think on this and and whatever. And it almost kind of seemed like, okay, you know, there's there's progress here or whatever. Well, push comes to shove, and over a space of I feel like it was about nine days, the situation went from went from there there being this incident and there being this tension. To my, my friend being told that, that she could no longer serve in, that they, that, that she needed to step out down for ministry to being told that no, she didn't need to step down, that they, that, that, that she and her family could continue to serve in ministry to them deciding, well, you know, let, let's go ahead and step down for the time being and then them being asked, not to return, not to return to the church. And so then, you know, my part in it was being a witness to, to what had happened and being bewildered that they had been removed from the, from that they'd been asked to um, leave the church had had asked to, to, Talk to the pastor, to ask to, had asked to talk to, to somebody about this to kind of get more clarity on, on what was happening. And then being met with just a bunch of like, well, we can't talk about this. This is like whatever, like like this is an issue that's for the, the um, leadership of the church. And just really, and there's, there's a lot more to the story, but just being kind of met with these roadblocks of we know that we did something wrong, but we're not going to really own it and we don't really want to talk about it. And there was almost kind of a, we don't want to, we don't want to talk about it, especially with you, um, kind of, kind of, um, kind of tone to it. And you know, that's not like me feeling entitled to talk to somebody about it, but I, but I had had a significant relationship, um, with this church for, for, for many years was on staff, not at that time. Cause my family had had moved away and had, and had, um, returned. And so I wasn't on staff, um, at that time, but had, but had served on staff at the, at the church. And so just, you know, had this, this deep history with the church where I thought, okay, you know, we, we can talk about this. Like, you know, we can, we can, um, We can talk about it. You know, we can, we can, I can help me to understand what's, what's going on. And it was just almost like, well, you know what? (laughs) What you, what you think, what, what this incident was, all this other type of stuff. We're, we're only going to own it insofar as what makes us comfortable. And we're only going to grow from it insofar as the terms that we dictate that we're going um, to grow from it. Um, but we're but but they're not but we're not really gonna take any any substantive Steps toward toward healing or toward reconciliation or or toward anything of that of that nature, and this is just you. Know, I, I say all that to say that that you that that what you talk about it just it it just it really it really hits home for me, and I know that it hits home um, for for many of the black folks listening to this because we've we like I said before you know we we've, we've entered some of us have entered into these spaces thinking that, you know, we were, we were going to be a part of something that was going to bring healing to our, to our cities that was going to bring healing to, to our, our, our regions and to our nation. And then it seems like, you know, at the, at the least little bit of, of, um, anything that that would that would pose at least a little bit of a challenge there's just there's there's little resilience on the behalf of the the white people in these situations to lean into their discomfort and to learn and to not get offended and take things personally that that aren't about them um it's just there's just there's just so much there's just so much to it well you know see it has there I could talk About this incident and talk about the way that you were treated. In this instance, and there's there's just so there's so much more to be said. And hopefully we'll be able um that we'll find some other means to to for you to be able to, to share to share more of, of your story. Um hopefully you'll be able to, to have um, means to, to be able to share more of your story. But just in this in this moment, I just want, want to take the time to to really kind of affirm you and to affirm your dignity and your and your worth as a as a black woman. Because I think that that is something that is so, that's so key and important in these times that whenever we have the moments where we're where we're torn up where we're torn down where where people do things that, that harm us to just be able to say you know what your experiences are valid to be able to say that that what you experienced and how you were treated was not okay the way that the that the church treated you the way that that people who you you were sure cared about you the way that they so readily and so easily discarded you the speed the haste with which they discarded you that's just not okay and whenever you you know you share about just even some of the some of the, the emotional toll that that this has taken on you in terms of feeling anxiety about going to church whatever that that's not okay and i and i you know i think that that it's wrong that it's that, that, these are, these, this is just, you know, a, 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 tip of the iceberg of what we feel. You know, there's anxiety. I talked about on my on my podcast episode about how you know, I gained gained about 15, 20 pounds in just in it of weight of just because of of like, you know, eating, stress eating, eating because we're gathering around meals to to lament and just all these different, all these different things. And we we carry these effects in our in our body. And so, you know, I just really want to take the just really want to be able um to to affirm you and to and to to lift you up in that. And so um you know in our in our last you know no absolutely no no problem in our in our last couple of minutes is there is there any way that um what what can how can our audience connect with you? Are there any ways that that, that our audience is able is it would be able to connect um with you? Do you have any any music that's out there anything like that that you'd like to share?
3: Well, I do. I have a Facebook page. You can look me up, Z Johnson, on Facebook, Z E E Johnson, or you can head on over to my Instagram page. My Instagram handle is Z E E underscore Batteria, B A T E R I A underscore Johnson. You can look me up there. I love talking to people, I love getting involved in different arenas, whether that be Making music for t- television, podcasts, YouTube shows—it's one of my favorite things to do. Um, I love just talking about, just talking about what we can do as a community, as what what we can do as a Black community, what we can do as a creative community to help push change. I am trying every day to make music that brings people together. I am trying every day to create. Space that is neutral enough for people to heal and really talk about being a musician in church and literally spiritually dying for the sake of being able to play good music. Um, it's 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 our own pandemic. So um, if you want to talk about that or you want to see some cool pictures of things that I've done, things that I'm working on, you can reach me there. I'm also on YouTube as well under the same same moniker. So just reach out. I always answer. Or if you want to send me an email, I am at Groover University at yahoo.com.
2: Wonderful. Well, I'm glad that we were able to share some of your story. I'm glad that we were able um, for you to be able to, to talk about this. And I hope that you all will keep up with Z. Thank you so much for listening to this. I will see you next time. Peace.
0: Well, hey everybody this is tyler burns and i'm sitting here with justin Gibney and michael weir of the and campaign authors of compassion and conviction the end campaign's guide to faithful civic engagement and i really wanted to ask this question because i had the privilege justin of being with you at the and campaign launch in atlanta in 2016. Just considering the way that the political climate has intensified, has the approach of the AND Campaign shifted from its initial goals and what's changed and, and what's also stayed the same with the way that the AND Campaign approaches this intense cultural climate?
5: Man, that's a really good question. I think all of this is kind of God's timing. And so I don't, I don't know that we have necessarily changed in direction or anything like that but we've certainly grown i think we've uh, been able to articulate what we're trying to say a little better as we've kind of learned as we've gone back and forth and traveled the country speaking to churches and faith organizations we've kind of sharpened our message a little bit but i think the idea that we had from before which was orthodoxy and orthopraxy social justice and uh, moral order is the same, just sharpened. I I thank God for us being in a better position in this moment because I don't think we would have been ready for this moment in 2016.
0: Do you feel like it's harder to have this conversation now than it was in 2016? Because I think there was a sense in which in that moment, we weren't expecting the extreme polarities that we see now.
5: It depends on who you're talking to. I think it's certainly more intense Uh, And if you're talking to folks who are kind of hyper partisan and they see everything through that lens, then, yeah, it becomes very tough, if not impossible, to have the conversation with those folks. However, folks that aren't as as partisan who may be in a party and we you know, we always say that's a a good thing. That can be a good thing if you use the party as a tool for some other people. I think they've been shaken a little bit to where they're not as solidly in their party as they used to be. And especially when it comes to some Christian conservatives, some Christian uh, Republicans. You know, during the time when we first started, we, we weren't getting the ears that we have, you know, all the ears that we have now. But Trump shook. I mean, you don't hear about it a lot, but Trump shook some folks up, man. And there's a lot of people who aren't OK with what he's doing. And that group of folks has been a lot more receptive to what we're doing. So it, it depends on who you talk to. But certainly with certain groups, folks are really uh, are paying more attention than I think they would have been.
4: Well, look, Christian political engagement is going to be and should be different depending on the times you're in the principles stay the same, but the discernment of what's happening in the moment, how how God is moving is going to change. So, I mean, that's one of the reasons why a framework is important. That's why, you know, the the book is written, that folks can apply the lessons from the book today, five years from now. The one piece I'd say about this moment we're in is just to build on what Justin said is it's interesting. It would seem counterintuitive, but yes, as polarity and polarization has risen, what that does is it creates more space. Our, our, Our message is much More stark. It shines through even more clearly. When there's a veneer of comedy and everyone getting together, even if you dig under the surface and you see all the conflict and all the people who are getting left out under the, you know, beneath the veneer, that veneer is gone. <laughs> you know, I think uh, right. everybody seems to acknowledge now the the kind of moment we're in when it comes to our, our toxic polarization, and, and and that's that's something we want to pierce through.
0: And Michael, would you say that? that polarity makes you feel more hopeful for the future because there is that now this broad space? Or would you say it makes you feel more concerned about our political future, especially as, as it relates to Christian civic engagement?
4: My sense is, has been that God is tilling the ground, that this is a moment of disruption. The choice ahead of us is, is what we do with that if we're looking to actually see what God is doing, if if we actually stare the disrepair that we're seeing in the face, or if we just try and run away from it, avoid it. Mm. Pacify things, and as long as things can get back to normal, we'll be good, then we won't use this moment of disruption for the good of our neighbors. So, I, I mean, I think I'm hopeful. I always see possibility, but that doesn't mean that we're, <laughs> we're going to grab hold of that possibility. That's up to citizens. That's up, for, up to Christians and, and other citizens to acknowledge the moment for what it is and recognize that we need to move forward.
0: Well, gentlemen, the book is Compassion and Conviction, The End Campaign's Guide to Faithful Civic Engagement. Justin Giboney, Michael Weir of The End Campaign, thank you so much for your work. And thank you for doing the hard work, the difficult work of giving us a framework for faithful civic engagement. We appreciate it. Well, hey, everybody, this is Tyler Burns again. And I hope that you are inspired by that courageous conversation with our very own Ali Henney and Z. Johnson. Again, we are eager to highlight more of these stories here at The Witness. And if you have one of the stories, or if this sparks something in you that you're currently facing, we would love to hear it. You can email us at info at the witnessbcc.com, or you can also follow us at The Witness BCC on Twitter and Instagram. Of course, you can also reach out to us on Facebook, The Witness, a Black Christian Collective. We're excited about the conversations that are coming up here on Pass the Mic. Be sure to subscribe, rate, and review the podcast on your podcast app of choice to support and follow the work that we are doing here. And of course, if you would like to give financially, you can do so at patreon.com forward slash pass the mic. Well, once again, I'm your host, Tyler Burns, and on behalf of the entire team here at The Witness, we look forward to seeing you soon on the next Pass the Mic.